Welcome to episode 352 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. Do you use Zoom to make money as a presenter, facilitator, trainer, consultant, or coach? Do you feel overwhelmed thinking about learning how to use new technology? Have you been looking for ways to improve each time you present or host a virtual program? If you answered yes to these kinds of questions, you're going to want to keep listening because I'm hosting the next cohort of the 5% Advantage program in October and November. This is a four-week program that will help you become more confident and competent using Zoom, no matter what level you're at now. You can become a certified virtual event professional, hashtag no more bad Zoom. You can practice being a host and facilitator and get personalized feedback. And you will definitely have access to all the recorded materials and join live conversations with the rest of the cohort. You can choose one or more of these options. Registration is available at the number 5percentadvantage.com. That's the 5percentadvantage.com with the number 5. This is a live cohort with several Zoom sessions over the month. Plus, you'll have access to a library of videos for asynchronous learning. Now, the content is based on my award-winning book, Breakout of Boredom, Low-Tech Solutions for Highly Engaging Zoom Events. This book's received a gold award from the Nonfiction Authors Association, reached number one bestseller in 18 Amazon categories, and over 240 Amazon reviews. Zoom is so different from the platform we all quickly learned the basics of in 2020, which is when I first ran this program in May. There have been so many new features just since the last time I ran this cohort in 2022. Join the 5% Advantage program to learn the latest design, virtual facilitation, and engagement strategies to help you move from Zoom fatigue to Zoom intrigue. If you're making money using Zoom, it's time to level up your skills. You can go to the number 5percentadvantage.com. That's all spelled out the number five, the five percent, P-E-R-C-E-N-T, advantage.com. Next, a word from our sponsor, and then we'll dive into this week's interview. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Today's guest is a trailblazer in implementing courage to amplify creativity and innovation. She's a beacon for risk takers, C-suite influencers, and decision makers with a vision for expansion and growth. This superpower led her to be named one of the top 50 coaches in the world by Fingers 50, one of the top 15 experts in branding by global gurus. Fingers 360 named her among the top 50 thought leaders in leadership diversity, inclusion, 
and among the top 25 in management. She's also a member of Marshall Goldsmith's MG100 and the CEO of the Association of Corporate Executive Coaches. She hosts the Courage to Leap and Lead podcast as an author of the book by the same name. Please join me welcoming C.B. Bowman Ottomanelli. Welcome. Thank you so much, Robbie. I am so over the moon to be here with you because you bring so much energy to our profession and to I life in general. I have to say, I have been hosting this for years, seven plus years. That is the most credentials I've ever stuffed into a paragraph. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure I left one or two things out for brevity. Congratulations on just all the well-deserved accolades and recognition and credentialing. And I mean, it's sort of like, oh, and by the way, she's also the CEO. It's like when the CEO is like the by the way. <laughs> wow. Congratulations. So thank you for joining us in your place in Colorado. Thrilled by the you know technology allowing us to have a conversation together. And as you know, this is a show about building strong networks and the context is leadership. So tell me, how do you define leadership and when did you realize you had the skills to lead? So, you know, audience, Robbie, I have to tell a little story, sent me the questions before the interview and I wrote him back. I don't do questions beforehand. And he wrote me back and he said, my show is different. Here are the questions. <laughs> and so... The first question was my view of leadership. Mm -hmm. And it made me think, and the reason why I don't look at questions beforehand is because then I have to think instead of just speaking. And I don't have the answer to that question because I think leadership is in the eye of the beholder. Now that doesn't mean if you're an obnoxious leader that you should continue to be that way. But you have to look at why and how and how to change and what's their goals and that whole nine yards. And, you know, frankly, every time I turn around, there's a book on leadership and they're either contradicting or agreeing with the writer. And my perspective is it could be all of that and more. I can only tell you that, you know, a couple of years after I opened the Association of Corporate Executive Coaches, uh, we were sitting in an advisory group meeting and I have an advisory committee because I thought if I'm gonna do this, I need to be held accountable. And one of the members said to me, so CB, what's our role? And I said, what are you talking about? This is the advisory committee. <laughs> I can't believe I'm telling you this. And they said to me, uh, well, so when are you gonna let us do our job? And I said, excuse me, well, what are you talking about? You know what your job is or your role is. It's to advise so that we can run this organization together. And what do you mean, when am I going to let you? We meet every single month, and we've been doing that for like three years. And um, they said, no, CB. For three years, we've listened to you. Come to the meetings. Tell us what you've done. And that's basically it. And I said to them, whoa, wait a second. Are you trying to tell me that you want me to shut up when I'm the CEO of this organization? And they said, yeah, you got it, shut up. <laughs> I, was, I was so hurt. I, I was like, 
who who are these people? What what gave them the nerve to say that to me? So next meeting, they had a question and they said to me, CB, what do you think? And I said, I don't know. I was asked not to speak like a child. And they said, CB, we want you to speak when we ask you a question. We want to have a chance to give our thoughts and our input versus being told what our thoughts and input should be. And I said, fine, what's the question again? And I answered, I, you know, really yelling and stomping like a child. Well, my lesson learned was that after I started to listen, the organization doubled in size. And I thought, well, and then I heard an interview that Marshall Goldsmith did with Alan Mulally, the former CEO of Ford. And Marshall said, so what was the greatest lesson you learned being the CEO of Ford? And he said, I learned to shut up. And I thought, yes, I'm in great company. Okay, <laughs> I can feel good about that. So I love this. <laughs> But it's in the eye of the beholder. The leader has to listen. The leader has to make decisions, courageous decisions. And so for each organization, each person, each group of employees, each goal, each strategy, it's going to be different. Mm -hmm. But that lesson, which you and and, uh, the beloved Alan had to learn, uh, I mean, it's a hard lesson. You invited these people to be an advisory team, advisory council, but you really saw them more as an accountability council. And you were like, I will let you know each month what I accomplished and what my goals are for next month. And it's amazing that they lasted three years before they kind of interjected and said, wait, wait, you're not fully <laughs> utilizing us, which is quite something on their part. But you did listen. And I think that's that's a really I, I love that you shared that because I feel like there are people listening right now who might be like, oh, is that what I haven't done yet? And the results for you showed that the collaborative effort was better than your individual contributions could have been that with their input, you were doubling in size and things were going really, really well. It also I'm, means that the outcome is is both shared good or bad. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say they did it not me. Amazing. You know, I listened and I'm still listening and I have stepped out of being in committees because I realized I was holding everybody back. I recently had the same situation with the membership committee and I don't know why it didn't occur to me that I needed to shut up until one of the people said, CB, we'd like to invite you off of the committee. This time I didn't pout. I just said, yay, I have more flexibility in my schedule. <laughs> a win. Yeah, what, what, what once felt like, ouch, is now you see it as a, a win because it means you have the team in place to, to create great results and they'll know when to tap you. And so yeah. you're able to focus on your piece. I mean, that, this sounds like an incredible leadership journey right there. I, I have a feeling that who you are today you know, isn't like a recent thing. I always curious about what people were like when they were a kid, when you were a kid in the playground, when you were in, you know, junior high, high school, did you run for office? You were involved in after school activities. Did teachers see something in you? Were you the quiet kid? Like, what were you like in those early days? All of that 
and less. <laughs> I am a high introvert. I mean, I am so introverted. It's not, it's, it's a joke. And I shied away from groups, crowds, activities. I'm also highly dyslexic. I could not catch a ball if I wanted to. And I was very lucky because what we would consider gangsters now, groups, whatever you want to call them, they adopted me and protected me like I, I can't even begin to tell you. I was one of the untouchables. I don't know why, but it, it happened that way. And I just had friends that were considered the bad kids, never was in a gang or anything, but they just said, we protect her. It is kind of amazing that that ended up happening. I mean, because usually those are the people you're running from, right? Those are the people yeah. who are shaking you down for your lunch money. And for you, they end up being your protectors. That says something about who you are. Maybe you were very quiet and shy, but, but that's not the end of the story if that's what they saw in you. Yeah, and I don't, to this day, I don't know whether it was because my dad was in the military, um, my mom worked, um, we always felt loved. I was raised in a very, very strict household. But for some reason, I was the pet of the gangsters. <laughs> And so you were not looking for any kind of visibility or a platform. You were not raising your hand to be in the front of the room. In those early years, you seemed reluctant to do all those things. And in fact, I was the only black person in the school. And I remember in high school, I had to take speech therapy. And I went home to my mom and I said, they're picking on me because I'm black. I have to take speech therapy. And she looked at me dead in the eyes and she said, are you the only one in the class? I said, no, of course not. The entire class, it's part of the curriculum. She looked at me and she said, well, then you get your ass to speech therapy. And I don't want to hear anything else about it. It That's was the best and the worst. I hated getting up and speaking and it has paid off lightning times over. Yeah, I could see you you had a natural reluctance as an introvert. You maybe needed some support around speech. You had dyslexia to overcome as well. I mean, so idea of reading out loud, you know, it's the reading is the problem, not the no, out loud no. part. No reading, memory only. Memory, memory. That, that works in your favor as dyslexic then. <laughs> that sounds you like you a better the class And recite your story. That's why I said I don't use questions for my interviews because. Yeah. Taught not to. Yeah. So when you were 12 or so, did you have a sense of what you wanted to be when you grew up? Did, was there a path in front of you? No, I would go to my room and I would draw. That would be me. I thought I was perhaps going to be an artist. And school and circumstance changed all of that and went into the business world. Did you originally go to college with business in mind? No. no. What was the original plan? I was going to be an interior designer. And I was for many years. And um, that too was the best experience because I went to Parsons School of Design, one of the best in the world, and um, met so many different cultures. Uh, it was a school for the rich, and the well-known, 
don't even ask me how I got in because I don't know. Um, but my parents paid for it and um, I was introduced to the LBGTQ plus community. We, my best friends, and I know that sounds cliche, but I truly mean parties <laughs> together, <laughs> stepping over bodies on the floor. And it just made me see the world very differently. Audience, I know that, um, so you don't know this, Robbie asked me what pronouns I'd like to use. And I said, I don't use pronouns. First of all, I'm dyslexic, it would be hard for me to remember. Two, it's because I think of people in terms of how they treat me, not what their beliefs are. What's important is what are you doing? What are you saying? How do you feel about me? And that's my scale of evaluation. Yeah, I think that then there might be some clarification because pronouns are about how you want to be referred to. So if I used he pronouns for you, that probably would not feel right. I don't care. As long as you treat me well. Okay. That's good to know. So that's the kind of thing that most people have a stronger feeling about, not about dyslexia. It's not about reading. It's about mm -hmm. how you want to be, you know, uh, how you want people to identify you or, or refer to you. Yeah. When I said dyslexia, I meant be hard for me to remember which one I selected. <laughs> so <laughs> oh, am I going to use they, he, them, she, us? Yeah. What am I going to use? Yeah. I don't care. It doesn't matter. Got it. Yeah. So, and then there are more and more people in the world who are saying that, which has really changed. I mean, just even since I was in college, that wasn't really an option for people. So uh, it should have gone to Parsons with me. Where, where did you grow up? I grew up in the Bronx. You grew up in the Bronx, but you were the only black kid in your so, school. Originally we lived in lower Manhattan, the lower East side. It was all Jewish and Italian. Uh-huh. Um, I would go to my friend's house. His, their parents might be making grapes, stomping grapes or whatever. Um, I would go to synagogue. I would go to wherever I wanted to, wherever my friends invited me. Mm -hmm. And then we moved to the Bronx and it was pretty much the same thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did it feel like a culture shift? No, no. My parents protected me from knowing very much about racism. If I would say anything negative, I'd say that they didn't teach me enough or give me enough exposure to my own culture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you had plenty of practice connecting with and building relationships with people across culture. Yeah. So I knew more about, for example, having a knish than I knew about having kale and ham hogs, which is, you know, um, pretty weird when you think about it. Mm -hmm. Circumstance of where you were growing up, who you were mm -hmm. spending time with. Yeah. yeah. And then you go to Parsons, your world continues to like grow bigger and bigger as far as like the kind of people you get to know and mm -hmm. have friendships with. You said you spent some time as an interior designer. So you had a career in that role for a while? I certainly did. I was one of the founders of the National Society of Interior Designers. An accolade we did not include in your intro. See? <laughs> I knew there was a few. <laughs> Another life. <laughs> Another life. Yeah. Fascinating. What so so individually being an interior designer is one thing, but deciding to create an you know that kind of larger organization, what led to that? The idea of it being that big picture. So again, 
growing, you know, going to Parsons School of Design, we just decided that we needed representation. There wasn't anything. And so a group of us, Parsonites, got together and said, we need to create an association. And, and they said, okay, CB, you're on the board. Let's go. And I said, what? I don't do people. <laughs> and they said, come on, come on, we need you. And so we all, we did it together. It's like a theme here where you're like, I don't really do that. Okay, fine, I'll do that. <laughs> yeah, I'd say that. And <laughs> now that you're talking about it, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I mean, you wouldn't have been the one to raise your hand, but if someone else says, Come on, come on, we really need you, you're not gonna you're not gonna let introversion or concerns about speaking in public or dyslexia stop you. You just you're like, Okay, I'll figure this out. So but you're not like you're not going to offer your services, but you're also not going to deny people. Uh, that would be true. And you remind me of how I got into college, mm. how I got into grad school. <clears throat> um, it was very much like your guest when she needed financial aid. Uh, Selena Rizvani. Yeah. Yes. I loved her story. I, I knew that I couldn't pass the GMATs. There was just no chance in hell I would get a high enough grade to get into college. So I pretended that I was a friend of the deans at Pace University. And I got in to see him. And then the minute I sat down, I told him the truth about how I got in to see him. And he just laughed. And, um, and so he said, so why was it important? I said, I want to go to graduate school. I'm not smart enough to get past the interest to them. And he looked at me, he said, oh, you're smart enough. It's just, that is what happens when you, I said, I freeze. I cannot remember a thing. And he said, you know what, CB, I'm going to let you in on probation. I said, well, I'm willing to go back to undergraduate school to get in. And he said, no, never go back in life. Big lesson. Always go forward. I said, all right. He let me in on probation. Many stories later, I ended up on the advisory <laughs> committee for Lubin School of Business, which is Pace University. Wow. I'd say he invested well. I'd say so. Another accolade we didn't get to mention earlier. <laughs> I knew we'd find more. That's amazing. I mean, there's a, there's a certain amount of chutzpah, and I know you know that word because you hung out I with Jesus. I do. But you had that that like nerve to go and and you know get the audience with the dean under whatever circumstances you needed to, and then to just plead your case and not take the fear as a no. Like I think a lot of people they're so afraid of the no they just don't ask. It's the whole Wayne Gretzky like quote, right? Then I'm mean, any shot you don't take you miss kind of thing. You you didn't go that route you were willing to put yourself forward and to even say, I'll go back and do undergrad if I need to. And, you know, fortunately he was, no, go forward in life. But um, I could see why he would invest in you. It kind of reminds me of how um, people who are investing in um, entrepreneurs, they always say, I, I invest in the entrepreneur, not in the, not in the product. Mm -hmm. And yes. I think in that case, like sure, he mm -hmm. knew that it wasn't about your, your entrance grades, the exams, it was about how you were showing up in life. Yeah, I mean, and that's, that's the reason why I wrote the book, Courage to Leap 
and mm-hmm. lead. Yeah, and I, I wish I was more courageous. Now this book is holding me accountable. <laughs> but, you know, I believe if you really truly want something, you'll figure out a way. Mm-hmm. And if you can't, there's people around you that can help you figure out a way. You just have to stay away from the naysayers. It's interesting. It's, it feels like a worldview that you, you embody, right? It's a way you can imagine the world and you've seen it work for you. So it's reinforced that belief over time. But I also know there are people who, you know, just wouldn't even, wouldn't even have the courage to take that first chance and therefore don't build that muscle. I mean, I think you've got practice building your courage muscle and you went, okay, so you have this career. I want to kind of move us forward a little bit in your career. Cause I'm curious um, how you were, were you set up as a business for yourself when you were an interior designer or were you working for somebody else? Like, was entrepreneurship already part of the path or was that coming later? So I worked for somebody else and then I tried to open my, my own business and I was not successful at it. And I like to blame my race for it, but it was really maybe 10% race and, nine, and 80%, there's my dyslexia, and 80% just not going for it enough, didn't have enough knowledge, didn't have the right the right stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but, you know, I'm not a good person to knock on doors. So here's the thing about me. I hate knocking on doors. I'm an exceptional leader. Mm-hmm. It's there. Mm-hmm. It is what it is. It's interesting because you knocked on the door of that dean. <laughs> I did. It changed your life. <laughs> yes, I did. Yeah. I'm going to have to have a new view of me. When it's, I think when it's critical, you're not going to do it as an everyday path, you know, a path to success that requires you doing that every day is not one you would follow. But yeah. when it's a crossroads, you, you, and you're like, this is it. I got to try. You're willing to try. And that's, that's the courage part. But then if that didn't work out, what, what was the next path if you weren't going to have your own shingle as a interior designer? So I eventually decided that I was going to go into business. Uh, work for somebody else. And I looked at, oh God, you're going to be right again. It just occurred to me. I looked at what I could do working in corporate America. And I looked at all the jobs that would require the arts. And I applied to a Fortune 500 company for a job. And I was turned down by HR. I didn't like that. So (laughs) I am an amazing writer. And so I wrote a letter to the board telling them they made a mistake. They should hire me. And guess what? They did. (laughs) When you want something. Yeah. And so I became responsible for branding for a ready-to-eat product and marketing it and working closely with marketing people. And during that period of time, I decided to go back and get my marketing degree because I saw that is the missing ingredient in working in corporate America. And you stayed there for a while? Did you bounce around? I'm not going to tell you how long because then that's an indicator of age. (laughs) I would say I was there long enough to make a significant difference and some of my brands are still on the market. Wow. 
And when did you decide to try your hand at something new? So I won awards for the work that I was doing. More accolades we didn't note. Okay. <laughs> You're making a black woman turn red here. So, <laughs> um, and the company I was working for didn't want me to accept those awards. And I thought, I'm going to accept them. And I figured out a way to make that happen. And then I said, and this is not the right company for me. Mm -hmm. And so I began to think in terms of a career shift. And I was very fortunate to know people in the career space. That point was the career space. And they brought me in and trained me. And so what I did, because I was with the other company for so long, I had more than six weeks vacation. So I was very strategic about taking my vacation when I needed to take these learning opportunities and banking them against a weekend. So <laughs> what might be two days became four days. And I would take assessments. I would learn about assessments. I would learn about coaching but learn about camp, uh, counseling. I was voted um, one of the top 12 of coaches in America that went in to help the pharmaceutical company when they got into trouble. And eventually I made the right connections and I was able to leave that company and move in to this new field. So initially though, it was, you already had some people in your network who were in that space, that career space, who could introduce you to coaching and assessment tools. You already had someone who kind of- yeah, I didn't know that. anything about the field. I had to do research and find out and make the connections. Yeah. How did you make those initial connections then? So I found out what I needed to learn first. Mm -hmm. And then I reached out to people who were doing that kind of training and work. All right. Tell me more about this reaching out. What does that look like? What it looks like is making a phone call, maybe knocking on doors. <laughs> All right, then, CV. Gotcha. Yeah, you always got to look out for the quiet ones. Busted on the air. <laughs> it's always the quiet ones. So, um, okay. So, I mean, that's a pretty forward thinking. You knew you wanted to make a career shift. You learned a little bit about this possible career path that you wanted to explore. You found people who had those skills or knew something about that and you sought them out. And was there a connection? Was it like, these are people who went to the same college as me or something like that? Or was it just like even more random than that? Not random, but different. So I decided to start writing articles about this new career for like um, newspapers that the Wall Street Journal owned. I figured out the writing style. I wrote to them and I said, you know, I'm a writer. Would you like some articles? Tell me the topics you're interested. And so I wrote as a quasi expert in the field that I knew nothing about. And <laughs> since I was published in noted news journals. More accolades. Yep. I would send those to the people I was interested in having a conversation with. Or like, for example, I went to a SHRM conference and I would sit in the front row. And after the conference, I would force myself to go up and talk to the speakers. And one of those speakers passed away a few years ago was Bob Lee. Bob Lee was the founder of Lee Hecht Harrison, 
a major outplacement firm in the world. And he took me under his wings. And I met a lot of other people through him. Wow. I mean, you are, uh, you're a doer. I mean, you have a vision and you follow through on it. And I, I mean, you're, you're flipping the script a little bit. And I want to kind of underline that because a lot of people assume they've got to spend, you know, 10 or more years behind the scenes, not being noticed before they could dare try to get their name on a byline of any kind, forget the wall street journal owned uh, publications. And and they, you know, it's just a, it's a really long game for them that way. And you thought, okay, well, I'm going to learn something about this and I'm going to just put myself forward as a writer. I mean, you knew you had a strength in writing. I think that that was going for you. Um, but you're also good at getting an answer by probably skipping past the, the, the rules a little bit. And it's like everyone else was sort of lining up and you're like, I'm going to write a note to the board. You know what I mean? Like, you're like, I know I want to do this and I know I can offer something of value. What do you want me to write about? Of course, then people are going to take your call because you were published. And I mean, what's a wonderful way in. I'm trying to think about how people can use that today to their advantage. Well, I'll tell you, I just did a conference for a group of leaders in, in, from Ghana in Dubai through a connection I had. And when he introduced me, he said, so this is a woman who will ask you to do something, who will ask you to jump, and you will respond, how high, with a smile. And I don't, I guess that was a compliment, but when I was younger, I never asked for anything. And I learned that that was my problem. As a black woman in the arts or in business, that's an asset if you learn how to use it accordingly. And it took me a long time to figure it out. People want to help. I'm part of the underserved population. It makes people feel good to help. And if you don't take advantage of that, and if you're willing to be reciprocal in any way that you can, then that locks in relationships. That last part you just said, CB, I think it's a healthy mindset to recognize that there is a way to give back, that, that this person who became your mentor, that there was still a way to give back to a mentor, that it's not just about receiving. There's a lot, you opened doors in reverse. You made introductions, you offered a perspective, you offered maybe your time and talent, right? There's a lot of ways to give back to mentors. I think most people are nervous to ask for something if they think there's nothing, they can't imagine this person needs anything. I remember two stories I've heard in my years of teaching about networking. Um, one was someone who offered to take notes at a meeting of high-level executives so that they didn't have to worry about the notes. And they took meticulous notes and had them prepared and ready as soon as the meeting was over. And that, that gave her access to all these people who got to know her. And then they started to advocate for her when she wasn't in the room and she got new opportunities. And another was a college student a speaker got off the stage. This college student really wanted to get to know the speaker. Everyone was talking to the speaker. Someone hands the speaker a hot tea that I think they had asked for right before they got on. They said, when I get off, I, my throat's a little sore. May I have a hot tea? Well, the hot tea was in a cup that had no insulation. <laughs> and so they, while they were talking to people, they kept moving the cup from hand to hand. 
And the student stepped away from the crowd, got another cup, came over and just slipped it underneath and handed it back to them. And the speaker said, I have a space in my table. Do you want to join us? It's like, sometimes you just got to see the opening. Like, what's the gift you can offer? And I think this is like a, a way a lot of people miss opportunities and you sought them out. Um, well, I think uh, we're up to that point. One of the things that we deal with here in the United States is we've forgotten the words, thank you. And sometimes if you're working with a mentor who's way above your level, it's just paying attention. Uh, I remember when I was younger and I had a mentor and something negative happened in their life. And they mentioned it to me in passing. I think it was the loss of a family member. I sent this guy two dozen yellow roses. That's kind of become my signature, to send men flowers. People just don't think of doing things like that. They don't think of doing anything. It doesn't even have to be that expensive, although Costco flowers, just as a hint to your viewers, spectacular, lots of flowers, good price. Um, it, you know, people who recommended me to MG100, they're not asking for anything. Flowers, thank you. You know, just taking that time is remembered. You know, I wanted to get to a place where we were going to talk a little bit specifically about networking and nurturing your network. And you've got, you've naturally brought us there. So thank you. And, you know, you have that inner circle of people, you know, you're going to stay in touch with, and then you have that second and third degree out or second and third layer out people that you might see once a year at a conference or five years ago, you worked together, but you haven't had a reason to since. Oh, and you like each other, you enjoy each other's company. That's a given. How do you think about nurturing and sustaining those kinds of connections? Any habits, philosophies, practices? So I'm really bad at that. But I'll tell you what I am good at. I say to my friends, when and if you need me, I'll be there. I have friends that I haven't spoken to in a year. I'll pick up the phone. What do you need? It's not about how often, it's how sincere you are. I'm also a big fan of bothering. Knowing people do a favor for you, keep it in your memory bank. Respond, respond, respond. It doesn't have to be the here and now. Um, it could be much later. My neighbor down the street helped me throw a surprise birthday party for my husband on Saturday. Every single neighbor that we have participated. I hid things here, I had hit things. The first thing I did after I recovered from the party was to send the host a note to, I sent it to her husband and I said, and now she's on a diet, and now she likes wine, but what can I get her? that she would appreciate. And they travel a lot, so they're never home. I can't do flowers. This winter, I will surprise them with something. I love the idea of delayed thank you in a way where it's, it's not just, I think there's a way in which it becomes um, just an automated thing, like a transaction. Um, 
I, as a podcast guest, sometimes people like immediately send me a card and I think that's nice, but it also feels like, well, I was just in their show. But if they were to send me a card six months later, based on something I wrote online, mm-hmm. that would blow my mind. <laughs> and I have had a few people do that. And it's the kind of surprise and delight I aim for. But I love the idea you're just sort of mentally noting, I want to do something nice to these people. I'm going to find out what's nice for them. And that's the other thing I heard you say. You're not, you're not offering them a gift that you would like. You're trying to figure out what they would appreciate. You're not going for ease and you're not going for like simplicity. Everyone gets blank. You're, you're getting a little nuanced and it'll be a huge surprise when that thank you comes to them because they will have forgotten they ever did something for you. Yeah. And, and it could, because they wanted to help you. I mean, they didn't do it for the gift yeah. they did it because they wanted to help you. And one of the things I'm known for is connecting people. Mm. So like I might say a year from now, two years from now, you know that person I'm interviewing me? This person I'm speaking to, it would be good for them to get to know each other. And I'll send an introduction. And there's a way to send an introduction. Don't just say, CB, meet Jane, I think you two would be great. I go into the LinkedIn profile. I copy the link. I tell them why they should get to know each other. I set up the framework. That takes time. Mm-hmm. I try to always get buy-in from each person. I have personally, I've given sort of carte blanche to people to introduce me um, as long as they're not selling something. Um, If they're selling something, check with me first, just so it's not awkward. But if it's just like, I think you should meet someone, CB, no, you don't need to check with me. If I'm too busy, I will, I will let them know. (laughs) We'll coordinate a time to catch up later. Um, But I, I worry about um, like, People like Dory Clark, who just, I've only introduced, I can like, actually can't even think of who the second person is, but I know that I've introduced her to two people. Um, she already knows a lot of people. She doesn't need me <laughs> introducing her to people. And most of the people would be getting more from her than vice versa. So I'm very cautious about that. But I tell everybody about her work and I, you know, introduce the idea of her to a lot of people, but I don't want to get her like calendar filled with random people. But sometimes it's just like, oh, yeah, this person offers a lot of value. And here's a specific way that you would be able to work together. And then she always falls through on it. Like those kinds of introductions are worth Part two of that, Robbie. Mm-hmm. I always say to people I introduce to each other, give me feedback. Mm. Because that's really good. Person, I have a dear colleague who introduces me to people. One recently was a marketing person. And I hired the person. I did not enjoy working with the person. And I said to the person who introduced me, my dear friend, I said, I want you to know that I think this person is very talented. However, they did not make it on my connector list. And she said, why? I said, they're a little too buttoned down. You know, with the contracts and the, you know, sending reminders and you have to meet at this time. And I said, it's not my personality. So I'm really careful on those personality matches. And as I, I said to her, you know what? I, I'm not sure that this person equals your personality. That's my way of saying, be careful introducing this person. So while they had their contract signed, their payment was made on time, the engagement was made on time, they did good work. I did not give them a good review. 
Mm-hmm. I heard you just mention a connector list. Do you have an actual list of people that you keep track of to stay in touch with? I don't have to. When I'm talking to people, I'm listening for what they're not saying. Mm-hmm. And then my mind is triggered. Mm. Do you have a list of people that you know you want to circle back to at some point? Or is it just all kept kind of in your head? It's all kept in my head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I'm reaching the point where yeah. I probably will need a system to keep it in my head. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll make a plug here for something I just started using. <laughs> it has the best name ever. It's called Less Annoying CRM. Oh, okay. Less Annoying CRM. I'll send you a note afterwards. So. Oh, cool. So, um, and I'll put a link to this in the show notes as well. And the reason I like it is I needed a way, initially it was actually to keep track of it. Probably give it to me again, Less Annoying. CRM.com. Yeah. I wanted to make sure I was tracking introductions because what I found was happening was you would introduce me to Mary. I will immediately hit reply and suggest a way for us to connect. If Mary doesn't follow up and do her part, I would completely lose track of that. Sometimes Mary and I would eventually have a call and I would forget CB introduced us. And I always want to circle back to the person who made the introduction mm-hmm. to give them that like, thank you, here's what happened or what didn't happen or whatever. And it's just the volume. I couldn't really keep track. And I know there's gold that I missed because of that. So mm-hmm. I initially wanted a simple system for tracking like pipelines. Yes. And once I set that up, I now realize I'm using it for prospects and for clients. I mean, things that like I kind of had under control through other means, but it's $15 a month. And I'm going to put a link and I'll send it to UCB. Will you get a 60 day trial? Um, which is enough time to kind of play around with it. So that has become my solution. And it really started with me wanting to have a better process for closing the loop with introductions and referrals. Because I yeah. always want to honor that. When people are, give you the kind of referrals, introductions that you value, you want to make sure you value them back. So. I love it. I did have a system, but it was so complex and it was expensive. And I said to the person, this, she, this person is a techie. Yeah. I said, you know, I have to sit and input all this data and, you know, it's just, it's too, and it was not inexpensive. But what I did like about it is it grabbed all your emails that were related to that person. And mm-hmm. so the minute you hit that name, it called it all up like a, a yeah. transcript in a diary. Yeah. Does this system do that? I, I don't know that I would even suggest that because for me, once I know that I want to connect with them, I go back to my inbox and search their email and it'll tell me all that information. Um, I mostly need a little nudge to go do the next step. Don't <laughs> like, we all? Oh, here, here, don't forget to circle back. Don't forget to schedule this. Um, yeah. So speaking of which, I want to actually get us to our final wrap-up question, uh, which I really love this question. Um, before I do, I, we're going to have a quick word from our sponsors. Okay, final wrap-up question. It's a year from now. And CB, I am 100% sure you and I are going to stay in touch. You're part of my content and connection club. We can meet together on the Fridays. I know I'm going to see you, but let's say it's a year from now. And I say, hey, it's been a year since I interviewed you. I'm going to want to know what are you celebrating from that year? What are you, what are you going to be accomplishing or highlighting of that year? What are you most looking forward to in the year ahead? Another year of marriage since I'm a newlywed. <laughs> and the success of my book. Courage to Leap and Lead. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to put the link to that and other ways to connect with you in the show notes. Speaking of which. And improve my pickleball game. Ah, sure. Pickleball sweeping the nation. Yeah. (laughs) I love that you have something kind of fun to throw in there. And I can't wait to celebrate all that with you. How can people find you and follow your work? I'm on LinkedIn. CB Bowman hyphen Ottomanelli or just CB Bowman. And I'm on Google. If you Google my name, I'm not the sports player, Bowman. I will put links to that as well as your YouTube channel in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Thank you so much for this conversation. It's been, it's been a lot of fun. It's been wonderful. I'm so glad to know you. Me too. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with CB. What is your key takeaway? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 352. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as all the archived episodes. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with that one friend you know would love to hear it. Subscribe or follow for free so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review. Thank you in advance. Look forward to connecting again next week. We'll be interviewing another talent professional who overcame challenges on their way to success. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership and entrepreneurial journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.